discomfort in some form is what normally blocks us from taking needed actions. You're listening to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast with leadership speaker and consultant, Nicole Greer. Welcome to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. My name is Nicole Greer and they call me the Vibrant Coach. And today I am here with a fellow coach, a transformation coach, a culture coach, Dr. Barry Borgerson. He is a former executive who has successfully led multinational businesses. When he learned how difficult it is to transform errant behaviors on his leadership team and make necessary culture changes, he decided to figure out the root cause of these barriers. That's a good idea. Let's get to the root. And he has created a generalized model of the automatic mode of the human mind. Let me say that again. He has created a generalized model of the automatic mode of the human mind. We're going to find out more about that. And that that empowers him and others to make systemic, reliable transformations to behavior habits and business cultures. Oh my goodness, we need you to help us so bad. This stuff is happening out there, isn't it, Barry? (laughs) Yes, it is indeed. Yeah, yeah. Well, my first question for you is, it is for everybody, I, I'm I'm collecting definitions of leadership. So what is your definition of leadership? Okay, well, I'm going to give you a different one than you're used to. I mean, the, the, the typical one is managing things and you lead people, right? That's a, that's a common one. There's a couple of other ways people look at it, if you just allow me a couple of minutes on this topic. Uh, one is people talk about management science and the art of leadership. So why is one considered science and the other art? Because not really science, not really art, but there's a a big distinction there. And and it goes back to another distinction that business people frequently make, and that's between hard success factors and soft success factors, right? So we have these distinctions we make. Now, I make the distinction in a slightly different way and gets down to that fundamentals of the mind again. We, we operate in two distinct modes. We have a thinking mode where we process stories. We talk to each other. We have thought streams. We, have, we acquire knowledge by listening, by reading. And then we have an automatic mode that we don't control that well. And in that, you find that there's behaviors. And behaviors, things that we don't do that we should do. Uh, the generic name is procrastination, but, you know, people don't do things. Then there's the other side of the automatic behaviors that are, and these are part of leadership now too. So we're getting into the automatic part is disruptive behaviors. People that have behaviors, aggression, intimidation, you know, micromanaging. And so there, there's, there's also, and then the other part, there's several parts to that automatic mode, but the, the other part of it is uh, culture. It's this contextualizing framework that we can call worldviews, paradigms. In business, we typically call it culture. And so my distinction between management and leadership is management of those things when we're getting things done that our thinking abilities can do. And the leadership are those things we do automatically. So we can learn management from reading books, from listening to lectures. We have to be trained. Some people are natural leaders. They have some of these abilities, but usually not all of them. We have to be trained to be effective leaders because we have to change, transform that automatic part of us that we don't have easy access to. So sorry, that's a long answer, but it, 
but it gives my distinction between management and leadership. Okay. I love your long answer. I like, and I like a fresh perspective. So that's fantastic. Okay. Well, you said um, that the automatic mode is where the transforming takes place. Did I get that right? Okay. All right. So, so how do I transform I love the word you use, my disruptive behaviors, because I might have like a little blind spot, right? Like, I don't know I'm even doing this. I just do it. This is what I'm hearing, right? That's most common. Most people do have blind spots. In fact, not only do they not notice they do it, if someone tells them they're doing it, they don't believe it. They deny it. <laughs> and so, it's it's so, yeah. So how do we do that? Well, first thing we normally do is we do a multi-rater survey, right? So we do a, or a 360 degree survey. And, and so, you know, one of those things that we, an automatic contextualizing, it, I told you we talk about it as cultures, we talk about it as worldviews, but we also have a self-image that's that same part of the mind. So we're certain about our self-image. When you do a 360 degree survey, boss, peers, subordinates, maybe some other people, and I've done many, many of these, People get shocked that their self-image, because they fill out the same form, is so different than other people. So first thing you do when you're going to get someone that has overbearing behaviors is you get them to acknowledge it, which isn't easy because they believe they're different than those around them believe they are. And then there's a set of processes. We can get into those later. How do you then get them to change those behaviors? And that's a, that's a process that we use, very, very specific. And, you know, I, I have a theory I call two selves theory. And the two selves comes from the thinking mode. So it acts like our thinking self and the automatic mode, like our automatic or auto self. And, and so there's a set of techniques to transform the auto self, whether it's a behavior or a culture element, you know, we, we change, or an attitude, you know, or an implicit bias. We know how to change those. Well, that sounds fantastic. But, you know, before we get into the techniques and more about the auto self, um, you said there's overbearing behaviors. So that sounded like one real fun bucket of things people right. do. Are there are there other groups like overbearing and this and this? Yeah, yeah. Are there well, the buckets two, of behavior? The, the, right. There's two main kinds. The people that do things they shouldn't do. So those would be errors of commission, if you like. Micromanaging, intimidating you know, bullying, aggression, those are things that are on the errors of commission. On the errors of omission, people don't do things consistently that they need to do. That's on the other side of it. So they, you know, and even, you know, so they won't get an assignment done because it's uncomfortable for them. They don't like part of it. It bores them. People won't speak up in meetings because they're afraid of embarrassing themselves. They're afraid of, you know, making a mistake in front of their boss. And leaders have a barrier. So some leaders are overly aggressive. Other ones have this barrier. They don't do effective performance reviews. And they and so the generic name on that is procrastination. And people make up all kinds of excuses why they don't do things they need to do. But I've seen many leaders fail to do effective performance reviews. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure yeah. you have. <laughs> Uh, you're preaching my language right now, Barry, because I, I think there's there. I don't know what it is. I think it's a really a lack of courage 
Yeah. To sit, yeah. To sit down with your employee and say, you know, this this is what's going on with your performance. And here's the things that need to get done. And it's here and I need it to be here. And and it's really a helping conversation or it should be a helping conversation. Yeah. So yeah. people are either scared of it because they think they're being mean or something because they're asking people to bring their performance up here. Or, as you said, this person might be overbearing or bullying in that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be like the boss that gave me a performance review one time and he was so mean to me. Um, <laughs> there's a way to do it right. What, what, what is the way to do a performance review correctly? I, I know that's a huge question, yeah, uh, yeah. but, cool. but what, what, what does a transformed leader do in a performance review? How do they frame it and what characteristics? Give, give a robust review. So, and you, you focus not just on the problems, you praise all the things the person's doing well. So you go through, you're doing this well, this well, and this well. You've got a few things that we need to bring to a higher level. And then you you give to them. And you know, you, there's absolutely no room for aggression there. You know, you know, you, you and you're helping people. Now, the reason people don't do it is really interesting. The reason they'll give you a lot of people is I don't want to, I can't stand to make them uncomfortable. You know, work is hard enough. It's or they're working hard, they're already uncomfortable. I don't want to make them more uncomfortable. But the real reason they don't do it is it makes them uncomfortable to do it. <laughs> they can't bring themselves to say it. So discomfort in some form is what normally blocks us from taking needed actions. Yeah. And, you know, it's that old thing that, the um, you know, the magic happens outside the comfort zone. Right. And so yes. we're not yes. going to have any magical revelations with anybody unless we get a little uncomfortable. Right. Um, right. There's an uh, there's another author out there. Her name is Lori Beth Jones. I talk about her quite often because a lot of her work has really impacted me. Mm-hmm. And she talks about you have to move people into the um, creative tension zone. Yes. Uh, you know, people have to have the tension between here's where it's at, here's what it could be. And that tension, you know, like a rubber band eventually brings things together. So, I mean, it's tension on purpose. It's going to be a little yes. bit of discomfort. Yes. And, you know, there's a cliche about that. No pain, no gain. Right. I mean, that's just. Right, right, that's right. Just, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so one of, one of the techniques I use on that is if people don't do things they need to do, it's because they're uncomfortable. So. I use the path of what I call the path of least discomfort. I make it more uncomfortable not to take the tax than it is to do it. And so you, and you do that not by screaming, not by getting nasty, by saying you get a commitment. Are you going to, for instance, on a performance review, are you going to do it? Yes. And they come back. Well, this came up and that came up. Well, what did you think was going to come up when you committed to doing it? And you just go through a process to make not doing it uncomfortable. And since it's discomfort that's blocking them, if it gets more uncomfortable not to do it, they'll just go do it. And you do that, you never need to be aggressive. Don't ever, you just simply get them to commit and ask them why they're not meeting their commitments. A few open questions and it it, it creates discomfort for them. <laughs> yeah, so don't miss what, what Barry just said. You know, he said uh, to do a, an effective performance review, definitely go through the good things that they're doing highlight those and then help them see the higher level that they could perform at and make the process of improving themselves more comfortable. Yeah. 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 Make it more comfortable, make it more uncomfortable not to do it than it is to do it. Right. I love that. Feelings are always involved in transformational change. You were just saying it in a slightly different way, but that's right. And you, you know, you referenced another 
another person that you work with. It, it's, it's, you know, transformation isn't about knowledge. It's about getting feelings involved. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So we talked about overbearing behaviors. And then you also said those, so there's the errors of commission and omission uh, on your website. I read your website. You have a lovely website. Everybody go to his website. It is, um, will you give, give them the website real quick here? We'll yes. give it at the end again. Right. Two selves. That's the numeral two S E L F S.com. Okay. And on there, he has some success stories. And I, I thought that these were excellent little examples of the work that you do uh, in transforming uh, people's leadership style and culture change. Uh, one, you talked about moderating a, a leader's excesses, moderating yeah. a leader's excesses. So will you talk a little bit about excesses that leaders have and, and how they need to like wake up? Cause like, as you say, if, if you don't do this 360 feedback and even if you do do it, they, they have a blind spot and they're in denial that they have excesses, but what are some of the excesses leaders have that you've worked with? And so that we can all see them, maybe we could turn the mirror inward and see if we've got them. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, one of my a favorite example I have is a delightful CEO I worked with and, and he, he was super bright. Everybody agreed he was right almost all the time, but he bullied people. And, you know, so, I mean, that's an excess, isn't it? Right. You're, 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 and he put people down and he would chew them out and publicly humiliate them and had to, and so his HR person found me and said, can, you know, can you, I got this guy, He's had two coaches. He's chewed them up. You know, can you take a crack at him? And I said, that's what I do. I change behaviors. And so I went in there and worked with him to get him to realize it. Now, it's in an article I just wrote. It may not be at the website, an article I just wrote, where what I did with him, which is interesting, I, I generally change automatic behaviors directly. I make the old behavior become uncomfortable and the new substitute behavior become comfortable. And you do that over and over again. In his case, I kept trying to ask him why he was bullying people. Didn't know why, you know, they made a mistake. And then as I asked him that question quite a few times, I got him to finally articulate what it was that was causing him to do it. And he said, it's because they deserve it. Wait a minute. They deserve it? Well, I pay them a lot of money and they shouldn't make mistakes. You know, and so, so then what we're working on now is an attitude change, which is the contextual side, like the culture side. It's that automatic contextualization. And so again, I asked him a lot of open questions and the questions went along the line. Okay. How likely are you to get candid feedback if you're chewing people out and they're afraid of you? How likely are, you know, in what way are they going to get better? And tell me, tell me in what way are they going to get better? If you don't coach them, but you scream at them in, you know, in, in what way are you going to meet your grand goals? And he's, he's got these goals. You know, if you keep, if people are afraid to give you that kind of feedback you need. And after just asking a bunch of these questions and watching him squirm, he finally decided that his attitude was wrong, that they don't deserve it. And that's counterproductive and it's relieving his angst, but it's not helping him lead. It's counterproductive to leading and, and, he, you know, over a little period of time, he changed. In fact, the interesting thing about him, he actually got to the point of calling what he was doing, coaching them. And he was. <laughs> so he was trying to help them get better instead of chewing them out. <laughs> mm, I love that. So that is definitely transformation when you can get somebody to change their attitude. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And, and, and those it, things, those things, you know, if, it, I typically have long engagements, typically a year. I'll work with people because you can get visible improvements quickly. And I always do that when I get into a new client. But to have them endure after you leave, to have them make sure they stay there, it takes some repetition, repetition, repetition. And his state, I mean, he, he went on to, you know, he went on and was very successful, did a very, very good job. I typically check in a year or two later to see how people are doing after I've stopped. And sometimes I do a follow-up 360 to see how they did, you know, just to verify that, that this is what it looked like at the first and this is what it looks like later. So, yeah, so that's an example of an excess. I mean, he just really was over the top and just bullying people. And, you know, he wasn't even so much aware of it. He usually aren't. He, he just thought, you know, they were messing up and he was holding them accountable, he thought. <laughs> He's just straightening things out, Barry. Just yeah, straightening right, people right, out, right? Right. right yeah, right. just had to straighten him out. He was in a kink. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> that one before. Okay, well, I also like this one because I can tell you this is alive and well. You know it's alive and well, that a lot of leaders fail because they are so worried about being liked. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So and, will you talk a little bit about that? Because that might have just made a little twinge in somebody's heart. Like, oh, my gosh, that's me. So yeah, I, I, you know, yeah. we have this need for approval all the time. Okay, yeah, so yeah. tell me how you work with somebody. What does the person listening right now need to know about yeah. being like? Well, this particular one that you saw there is it. I won't say his name, of course. I never say the names of my clients, but but he was uh, on staff to the chief operating officer of a large corporation. And he had the most pleasing personality, he still does, I still know him. He's, he has a very, and he got along with everybody, but he could get stuff done because his boss was aggressive. And and, and it, so if people didn't follow his polite way of doing it, she'd come down and she'd hammer him, frankly. So he wanted to get into line management and he couldn't because he just couldn't, he couldn't confront people. and. You know, he said, well, you know, I can't get aggressive. And I thought, you know, I don't want you to be aggressive. There's no room for aggression, but you've got to be assertive. And I said, if you're trying to be light, you're not going to move people. And I said, what your goal has to be is to be respected, not to be liked. And if people respect you, even if you're calling them to task, even if you're correcting them, even if you're pushing them harder than they want to be pushed, they'll probably like you, but that can't be your goal. And he went on to be a very effective line manager. He's running quite a big organization now, very successfully. So he, uh, you know, he did well and he did well to get into coaching because he was a smart guy and great personality, but just not willing to get past his own discomfort of wanting everybody to like him to be an effective leader. Yeah, because we all know the side effects of being a liked leader is you end up doing a lot of the work yourself. And, and, yes. a lot of, and a lot of the ugly work, like you said earlier, work you don't like. Yep. Because right, right, right. Because yeah. And you, you get the ones that other people don't do because they don't like it, then you end up doing it. <laughs> right. That's exactly. right. right. And then you find yourself exhausted and having a heart attack. I mean, it's, right, not, right. A good, it's not a good outcome. Right. Okay. All right. Um, the other one I loved on there is that you talked about the inability to lead effectively. So first of all, my question for you is, what skills or talents or thinking in this case um, do I need to have to lead effectively? Do you have like a, a, a list of things that can help yeah. people see that? Yes, okay. yes, yes, I do. Uh, there's, there's several aspects to it. And, and 
again, all of them are on the automatic part of the of the human activities. One is you need to motivate people. And so you need interpersonal skills. And, you know, I've seen you some videos of you on your platform speaking and you do that. You motivate people. You have good platform skills. You have to have good interpersonal skills to be able to motivate people and skills. Those skills, people, there's lots of people that train those skills in if you don't have them naturally. Uh, you need to be able to develop people. So you need, to, and part of that's giving good, honest performance reviews, giving feedback on a regular basis, encouraging them, correcting them. And, and you have to be able to change behaviors. So you have to be able to change, you know, if you got somebody who's behaving poorly, you have to be able to change their behavior. And a big thing about leading now, and it's getting more and more important, you have to be able to recognize your culture is going to have to change and you have to change the culture. And that is something that most leaders come up very short on these days. And, uh, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more, um, yeah. but but keep going on your list and then let maybe we'll jump over to culture for a minute because I'd love to talk about that, too. Yeah. Well, those those are the big things. Develop people, coach people, change, you know, be able to help them change their behaviors, do culture changes and and uh, and, and have motivational skills. Those are the key leadership things. And the ones we work on most, you know, you gave a good example of someone who doesn't get things done. Those people normally don't rise very high in an organization. Uh, you know, I mean, people that have passive personalities. The people that rise up are often aggressive. And that gets them, you know, they get selected for that sometimes. They get selected into management because they have these aggressive personalities. They go get things done. Well, as you go up the management ranks, pretty soon everybody's aggressive. <laughs> and, and you're not getting things done. You're butting heads, you know. So, in the higher level, with the C-suite and the high-level executives, typically we have overbearing behaviors. We have people that are just, you know, fighting, attacking, aggressive, intimidating. Duplicity. Duplicity is the hardest things to coach. Where they lie because if they lie, if, if what they're doing is lying, they're going to lie to the coach, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, that doesn't usually work very well. And you might you might expect this to be the case. I don't know. The class of people who were the most duplicitous are salespeople. Yes, they're kind of used to talking their way around things pretty well. You know? But aggressive, we get aggressive people. I gave you the one example uh, of, of a CEO, but I had a lot of aggressive people, some super, some hyper, super aggressive. I mean, where I'm having face-to-face -face with them and the guy's standing up screaming at me, screaming. And I'm saying, you know, <laughs> you have to, if you're, Transformation coach, you have to train yourself to stay calm during aggression. And I'm sitting there calmly saying, do you realize that you're standing up screaming at me? And you know, he didn't. He, he just was doing it. And ooh, ooh, and he sat back down again. And then 20 minutes later, I was screaming at me again. I calmly say, do you realize you're screaming at me again? Ooh. <laughs> and so if you, this is a sort of Mac, Barry's maximum of coaching. If you go to coach somebody because they're overly aggressive, and a lot of the clients that companies put in have that characteristic, they're going to get aggressive with you because you make them uncomfortable. And when you make them uncomfortable, they slash out at you. So, by the way, something I, I don't mention much. One of the characteristics of a good transformation coach, besides all the skills you need and the techniques, you need to train yourself to get out of the fight or flight, which is what we normally do. One, one hang up on them or walk out if you're in the room with them, or two, scream back. You can't do that if you're a coach. 
you can learn to deal with it calmly. And I certainly have, but you still feel it. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I mean, if a client is coaching with me and they get aggressive, you know, I, I realize that they, that they are in fight or flight mode, right? He's yeah. fighting, right. screaming right. at you, you know? Right. And so there's zero emotional intelligence going on right there. And right. so right. the coach has to be ultimately emotional intelligent. And so if, if we think about uh, leaders and, you know, they are having their performance reviews or they're trying to do whatever, uh, fix something in the culture. Ultimately, we we cannot be like an animal, fight or flight. We've got to be the adult in the room, the mature person in the room exactly. that continues yes. to maintain this steady energy. Right. And like you said, mm-hmm. everything is emotions. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. So uh, let me just repeat what you said, because I think people like to, to hear it again, make sure they got it. Right. So um, the, the inability to lead means that you're probably not motivating people, probably not developing people, not coaching them, uh, not correcting behaviors and not recognizing that there needs to be a culture change. Right. And knowing how to do it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so let, let's go down the culture, the culture path for a moment. So let's start with this, Barry. Uh, what is your definition of a culture? Okay. A culture is a shared belief in the mission, the strategy, the values of a company. And in, in, in this, in, this is in a business, you know, there's, uh, there's external cultures too. So it's a shared, a shared belief, a shared certainty, if you like. And it exists not in thoughts, not just in thoughts, fact, sometimes not even in thoughts. It exists in that automatic part of the mind, that contextualizing part of the mind. So it appears to people, it's what I call certainty illusion. It's a certainty, it's a certainty to them. A culture element is a certainty. And that certainty, and, and the way these contextualizing frameworks get set up in us, cultures, attitudes, paradigms, if you like, worldviews. It's repetition, repetition and feelings. And if you repeat something enough times with feelings, it just becomes part of a reality, not part of a, not part of something you think, something that you totally believe is true. And so in the, you see it everywhere. In our particular context here in business, what happens? You get a model and it works. That feels good. You try it again. It works. It feels good. Pretty soon it becomes a reality. That isn't a way of doing things. It is the way of doing things. It's We're certain of it. And that works fine for a while. And then in today's world, with the business environment changing very, very rapidly, little by little by little, the environment changes to where you need a new business model, a new strategy. But no. Why do I need that? I'm certain I'm right. I mean, it's been working for a long time. I know I'm right. And that's why companies fail. And so how do you recognize when your certainty, your belief is no longer aligned with either facts in the world or in our case with your success needs? And that's very hard to do. So so let's say I recognize um, that I that I need to change the culture because uh, what I think one of the things this was like well how do you recognize the culture needs to change well I would think like you're sad you're mad <laughs> you you know that the PL is not singing like it right, used to right, you know, right. 
whatever it is, if there's some kind, there's, there should be lots of triggers that tell you maybe a culture shift needs, you know, you have a lot of turnover, you can't hire good talent, you know, whatever your or they, obstacle or they, yeah, they leave, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, whatever the obstacle is you're facing, um, that's probably pointing directly at a part of your culture that needs attention and intention, right? right? right. Okay, so let's say, um, well, uh, Barry, let me share this with you. Um, for those of you listening, go out and Google, I, I can't remember the name of the article, but it was uh, Google $30,000 or stay at home. $30,000 or stay at home. So Barry, there's this research firm that uh, did a survey and said, if you were given 30,000 extra dollars in your annual salary, but you have to come back to work, you have to get up, get in your car, drive to work, work all day, go home in your car uh, and repeat, we'll give you 30,000 extra dollars. Uh, otherwise you keep the same salary and you just stay home. And Barry, the vast majority of people said, I just want to stay home. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, what? I want $30,000. Now, I mean, you know, that just might be difference in personalities or priorities or whatever. But um, that is that is like a trend out there. Um, there was an NPR article as well about it, they called it the great resignation that people are just quitting and they're like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, so that if that if that's affecting your company, then you need a culture change. So how would Barry help a leader figure out how to navigate that stuff. I mean, yeah. that kind of stuff. This yeah. is real. This is happening. Yeah, that's real. So here, here's how, here, let me say it in general terms, then we get specific. In, in general terms, people in the culture, it's just, a, it's a belief and it's hard to challenge it. It's it just, people don't understand why you challenge it. So there's two levels to trying to change a culture. The first one is to get them to understand that their belief about their business, some aspect of their business is no longer correct. It's no longer serving their success needs. And that's hard to do because people have no interest in challenging their own beliefs. And so there's some techniques for that. Then the next, next aspect is once you say, okay, I got it. I want to change. Changing is uncomfortable. <laughs> and so you start to, you say, okay, I'm going to change it. Then you start to change it and you say, well, maybe not <laughs> because changing it because it's, it's buried in that automatic part of the mind. Whether we're changing behaviors or cultures, it's an uncomfortable process. That's why it takes a lot of a lot of repetitions. So I'll give you I'll give you a mantra people can use to start checking on their cultures, and that's believe but verify. Okay, and that's it's okay to believe your culture's right, but you've got to verify it periodically. Now that's just a for people who are old enough to know that's sort of a a takeoff on Ronald Reagan's trust, but verify that he used with the Russians when he was president. But it's so it says, okay, it's okay to believe. And many times, oftentimes your beliefs are quite right, but you need to verify it. And you don't verify it by asserting it. You verify it by looking at facts. So going back to what you were saying, are you losing sales? Are you, are you not able to hire people? Are people leaving? Are people going home and staying home? So you've got to start looking at facts. Like I just did it with somebody I'm, I'm coaching right now. Uh, I gave him an assignment. Go home and pick some belief you have, any belief at all, and then challenge it. Learn to challenge it. And he did. And what do you know? He came back and said, it's very painful, but I think I had a belief that was wrong. <laughs> it wasn't even part of business. It was something else. you know. But, but it was something, you know, that was something like a conspiracy theory he kind of bought into. And he's, ooh, that's, that's not 
That's not right, is it? So the seminal work on culture work, worldviews, and the word paradigm came from a guy named Thomas Kuhn 60 years ago, who wrote The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And he wrote it in terms of how you get a new, fundamentally new science worldview, paradigm in this case, okay? And he gave us the clue that he just did it on science. My theory, which I call them auto context, is automatic contextual frameworks. He focused just on science and he never tried to put it into the mind, but he had a brilliant idea. He said, the key to needing, needing it is the accumulation of anomalies. Okay. In other words, it's the accumulation of non-fitting facts. So, so what you do is you're in a business, you know, one of my favorite examples is Blockbuster, you know, but you know, you're making lots of money. You got the storefronts, you're doing well. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, Netflix comes along with a streaming service. So, okay, we know we're right. You know, we've, it's been working. Okay. But yeah. Okay. How much business are you losing now? You know, and you start looking at the facts, you know, well, the technology is going to go away. No, it's not. It's going to get cheaper. And so you get people to start checking uh, for anomalies. And the accumulation of anomalies and that you look for non-fitting facts with your, with your belief. And it's hard to do, but you can train people to do it and, and you can get them into a process of doing it. And when they look for anomalies in their cultures, things that are failing, things that are working, you know, sales they used to get and they're not getting, you know, uh, people taking business away from them that they used to win. And you start accumulating that. And then you got to say, okay, what is fundamental? in our belief system here that's causing us not to be able to change it. You know, I call it the innovation death trap. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a death trap because that's, and that's why mature companies fail. There's a so certain they're right and startups come and replace them. And, you know, they could, they could change. They often have the innovation internally. They often know exactly they have the capability, but they just see, especially senior managers don't want to change and they have the power, right? <laughs> Right. And, you know, what you're saying, too, is I'm also thinking, you know, uh, the startup comes and eats your lunch. Uh, but you also had very deep pockets for a while. Yeah, where right. if, if you had gotten on with it sooner, if you had hold on, let me see, believed but verify. Right. Yeah. If you had done that earlier on, you could have used the deep pockets you still had. To, to get the innovation you needed to eat their lunch. But you that's exactly it. right, Nicole. That's exactly yeah. it. They, they've got the money to, fame, to to fund the change. And instead of hanging on to that business, use it to fund, to fund the change because you've got a cash flow. They wait till the cash flow runs out. Then they try to do it and there's no way to fund it. Yep. That's right. That's exactly you're, you're, you're right. Exactly okay, right so let me, exactly. let me make sure I got this right. So um, we have to recognize that the culture needs a change. And so probably something is making you, this is my very fancy language, Barry, making you sad or mad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I don't like my sales. I'm mad that this is happening, whatever. Look at that a little closer. You can still believe you're okay, but verify with the facts. Um, And then you said something, um, I don't have an interest in changing my beliefs. I thought that was really, really good. Yeah, he said, most leaders don't have an interest in changing their beliefs. All right, so I just think, I just wrote that down. I think that's, because I think that is absolutely true. Um, Because you know what they do sometimes, um, uh, Barry, is they'll bring in a consultant like you or I, or bring in a coach like you and I, and they know they need help. 
And then we tell them this needs to change. And then they don't want to do it. They're like, I don't believe you're right. Let me find another consultant that confirms I'm correct. I mean, you know, what are we doing here? Right. So uh, I think that was a great line. Um, And then so here's the mantra. I'm going to repeat it again. Everybody believe, but verify. Everybody get a sticky note out right now. Make a sticky note. Stick it on your monitor and uh, have that be your mantra. Okay, so people uh, believe, but verify. And then they try to find uh, accumulate non-fitting facts. I thought that was fantastic, too. Yeah, yeah. And and in in you know, borrowing from Kuhn's work a long time ago, anomalies, the accumulation of anomalies. Anomalies just being a word for non-fitting facts, right? And sometimes sometimes it's not, yeah, well, it's facts, but sometimes so, sometimes we're not trying to see does it align with real facts in the world? And we have that problem a lot now, but does it align with my success needs? In other words, it may not be a fact that someone's eating my lunch, but but you know, I mean, it's, it's going to happen, but it's not my success needs. My success needs are I've got to change my culture. And people don't, you know, again, it comes, it's it's a certainty. I, I model it again as a certainty illusion. We all have certainty illusions. We have this illusion something is absolutely right. And that's a mental construct. And it does it. Sometimes it aligns with the world outside of our minds. Oftentimes it doesn't. And in this world of rapid, rapid change, most of those certainties become non-functional after a while. Mm-hmm. All right. So a certainty illusion, which is a construct in my mind. I'm certain yeah. it's true. But re- yeah. And I, I, Nicole would call that a blind spot. <laughs> like you can't see it. Right. Well, you keep repeating this little phrase, um, but this doesn't align with my success needs. Um, right. I bet you I bet you leaders don't know they have success needs. Yeah. How, well, how do I determine my success needs? That, yeah. I mean, that's a very interesting little phrase you're using. My success needs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in a public company, the success needs are to keep making profits and, and growing quarter to quarter, which is right. Returns. nonsense. Thing. But but it, are they going to continue to be success, successful? And in fact, that's another key thing we can talk about. The whole idea of continuous success, I think, is a huge mistake in this today. Today's in our digital world, with you know, rapid change, you know, as, as the fourth industrial revolution just, you know, crashes over us. We need to think in terms and get executives, leaders to think in terms of a series of repeated successes where you have to change your culture to revitalize your company to the new realities of the changing environment you live in, you work in. And so it's technology, but, you know, recently it's come up because of the pandemic. It's going to come up for a lot of companies because of climate change. Uh, global competition is rising. Uh, and so you get this business environment keeps changing. And the idea that you've got a formula, your belief system, that my culture is right, that will continue to be successful well, look at all the companies that failed. It's pretty good, pretty good evidence that's not happening. But you need to think in terms of a series of repeated successes rather than continuous success. There is no formula for continuous success. All right. Well, what's the formula for repeated success? Okay. And that's recognizing you have to periodically change your culture. And, and you know, there's techniques. Well, probably don't want to get into it now, but I mean, I, 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 I hope can. companies do. I hope companies do that. You know, you you get a retreat and you go in there and you figure out ways to tease out the the belief system, the cultural elements, and then you get a way to challenge them 
and you work on it and you need to do that probably annually. Every company needs to have, say, an annual culture reconstruction retreat where, where you know, when, when you have these strategy retreats and you go out there, the thinking solve stuff, you know, the stuff that we can think about and articulate, everybody knows how to do that. It's those cultural items that are difficult and you've got to challenge it. So you've got to challenge your beliefs in there. And, you know, my, my goal in coaching is to work myself out of it, out of an, an engagement. So I don't just go in and do that for them. I go in and do that for them once or twice, but teach them to do it so they can do it themselves because they have to do that ongoing. You have to have, you have to have in your culture, one of the fundamentals of your culture has to become, you need to keep changing your culture. And most companies don't have that. Most companies de facto have a culture. We're winning and we're going to keep winning this way. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. So uh, this is what Barry just said. So make sure you heard this is that he said one of the fundamentals is that you keep changing your culture. Yes. Yes. Okay. That is a reality. That is a reality in our current times. And it's just going to get worse. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but you can get better at it. You just call Barry and he'll come help you and you'll go to a <laughs> retreat uh, where you will challenge your belief systems and you, uh, and what he called it was an annual culture reconstruction. Like that's now part of your strategic planning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you have to assume you're going to reconstruct part of your culture. You know, now, now if you go away and you challenge all of your assumptions and in that one period, nothing changed. You don't have to change change it, but that's not going to be the case. There's normally be something you want to change. But if you do it annually, I guarantee you, if you're doing it every year, very often you're going to be identifying and then you have processes to make sure it works. Because even when you identify the culture change, you know, there's, and I'm sure you know that from working with companies, there's resistance all over a company because it's in the culture. It's a shared belief. We don't need to change this. Right, right, absolutely. Okay, so one last question um, about uh, culture because you keep repeating the word change. You need to change. You need to change. You need to change. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a, a, a teton of uh, change theories, change processes out there. Um, so do you have like a change process or a change theory that you use with co companies? I mean, I've heard challenge your belief systems probably one part of it, but yes. are there other yes. things that you do that help? people actually change culture what, what what would you give advice on that about yeah well uh, again again i'll go back i'll go back to the instilling not not just as a thought now but as instilling as a belief you know that, that that you you have to keep challenging your belief so belief believe but verify and then what what you do is once you, once you get people together and you identify the culture changes then you have to put a process in place you know first of all you need a strong leader to take ownership and then as you get the strong leader to take ownership, you have to work with them on some processes for how you get each individual to challenge their own assumptions. And uh, we don't do enough of that in business. And we, you know, th there's an interesting book by Klaus Schwab, who's the, uh, you know, perennial founder of perennial world economic forum. And he wrote the book, the fourth industrial revolution. And in there, he talks about all the technologies, but he talks about fundamental problems leaders have. And, you know, from his perch atop the World Economic Forum, he's got good insights. And he talks about, you know, leaders can't, they, 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 they can't make the kinds of changes they need to make. They've got social models. They've, they've got these things in there that are keeping them from changing and they need to learn to do it. Well, 
that's the thinking part of it. You know, we have this massive knowing doing gap. So people can look at that and, and know they have to do it, but doing it. So how do you get companies to fundamentally embrace change, culture change, behavior changes too, but behavior changes typically in leadership, you'll do that once and it'll last. Culture changes, that doesn't work. You've got to keep doing it because the disruptions in the environment are accelerating. And if we don't make that trans, the companies, the leaders that don't make that change are going to lose. So one of the things that I focus on is creating transformational leaders and transformational businesses. Now, the difference between those two, one is you get individuals to know how to do transformations, behavior, but culture changes. The other one is you get a, you get it in the culture that you have to transform your culture so that it survives leadership changes. Change becomes part of culture change becomes part of the culture and it survives leadership changes. I love that. Okay. So what he just said uh, was that culture change becomes part of the culture. Yes. That, that's yes. where the rubber meets the road, right, Barry? That's right. That's <laughs> okay. right. That's right. That. And that's and, not um, fair for most companies now. And that has to happen in, in today's environment. No. Right. It's like steady as she goes instead of stop, yeah. challenge. What do we yeah. believe? Do we believe you know, the right the old, way. The old saw, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it's going to be broken very, very often now, and you better start learning to fix it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I also loved what you said about there. there is a ginormous, I don't think you said ginormous, but no. whatever you said, <laughs> ginormous gap between knowing and doing. Yes. Uh, I couldn't agree with that more. And, you know, what I think is missing dare I say this, between knowing and doing is this character trait of uh, willingness. Yes. Yes. I saw that in some of your videos and I I agree with that. Yes. And courage. You talk about courage too. That's right. That's right. I mean, I I know this needs to be done, but I don't have the willingness to do it. And you could change the word willingness for discipline, or you could change the word to, um, uh, like locus of control, you know, you use a psychology kind of term or something. They're like, I, I am not doing it. So really the buck stops with the leader every time. And I love what you said. Um, you've got to be, be a trans transformational leader to have a right. transformational culture. Yeah. The future belongs to transformational leaders. Those are the ones that are going to outperform their peers. They're going to be the ones that have a competitive advantage over other ones and the transformational leaders are going to be the ones that succeed through a series of repeated successes, not through continuous success, not through any formula that provides continuous success. Mm, I love it. Oh, that's a really great place to stop. I have one more question. Okay, <laughs> and okay. here's my last question. So there's some guy or gal listening to this podcast right now, Barry going, I got to figure this out. I got to be that transformational leader. So give us one piece of advice. I like to call it, it's the N in my coaching methodology, next right step. Like this seems really big, Barry, having a yearly meeting and hiring coaches and all this stuff. It seems really big. Give me one next right step for that special listener who, who just wants to start? What do I do to start? I'll, I'll give I'll give it back to you the one I gave you before. Okay. Learn to, learn to believe but verify. If you can do that, you're gonna have a leg up on other people because most people can't do that. And and again, that's the knowing part. I'm saying it. They'll say yes, I'll do that. Learning to do it is gonna take a lot of practice. 
because it's not easy. But if you start getting that in your mind, that's the secret sauce for the success in the future for leaders and for a lot of other people. If you start practicing that, go find something that you believe that's not, you know, super crucial to you, something you think you believe. Find two or three of them and then go look for anomalies. Try to verify it. Does it work? Let your thinking self, your thinking abilities actually analyze it. And then you'll get some discomfort if you're finding anomalies, won't you? You start saying, ooh, ooh, I know it's true because I believe it, but ooh, all these facts are coming in. And then you go through that and you'll, you'll find out what the process is like if you practice that way to believe, but verify. And then if you can't verify it, you found too many anomalies. Now you've got to start working on changing your belief. In, in our case, we're talking about cultures, belief in your culture. That's fantastic. Gosh, Barry, it has been fast, fantastic to be with you. Thank you so much again for bringing your time and your energy to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. Uh, here's how you can get a hold of Barry, everybody. He can be found at www.numerical2selfs.com. And Barry, uh, will you let them know uh, where they can find you on social media? Yeah, uh, the one find me on LinkedIn, and it's very, very easy. Just put in Barry Borgerson. I'm the only one on LinkedIn. Okay, and so we spell Borgerson. Let me just spell it, spell it for you. B-O-R-G-E-R-S-O-N. Thank you so much, Barry. It's been a delight. We, I've got, look, I've got three pages of notes. I hope you at home have three pages of notes, and uh, we'll talk to you really soon. Thanks, Barry, so much. Thank you so much, Nicole, for having me on and for all the great questions. I really appreciate it. Ready to up your leadership game? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her unique SHINE method to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Email speaking at vibrantcoaching.com. And be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at vibrantcoaching.com slash TED talk. 